Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed on this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. Hi, and welcome to Slamfire Radio. This is episode 135 for December 11th, 2015. I am one of your hosts, Adrian Michaud. I'm one of your other hosts, Trevor Furlot. And I'm the last of the hosts, Matthew Latchy. But not the least. Oh, no, I'm the least, too. Have you seen yourself? This is true. Compared <laughs> to us, you are a tiny. <laughs> Adriel, good job in the intro. It's almost like, yeah, it's it's almost almost like, like I did it uh, three times. Take three, yeah. Well, good job. There we go. Yeah. Perfection takes uh, dedication me. and persistence. No, it takes, it takes me to interrupt you. Yeah. Or Trevor. Or Trevor. <laughs> Matthew, what did you do in guns this week? I reorganized my gun room. No, I didn't. Everything's still in the same spot. I went to the range and shot a bunch. Nope. Didn't do that either. I went hunting. Uh, nope. What about that thing you bought? The thing I bought. What'd I buy? Nothing. Nope. You're right. <laughs> I had a pretty slow week in guns this week. But uh, I am going to visit Trevor here soon, next couple of weeks. So I'm hoping we get out to the range and maybe I'll shoot some guns out there. Mm. Well, depending on when you arrive, um, Luke Drew, I'm trying to get him up as early as possible so he and I can go over to the archery club in Bathurst. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The, well, there's also the possibility of going to the Madrana range the next day if we can get uh, Pierre Lucas still a member. Maybe he can get us in. or So hopefully there'll be some shooting going on while you're here. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I didn't really do much, so we can just kind of move on to the next guy. I think that's you, Trev. It is. Uh, I forgot to mention this. My buddy John Allen, he does exist. Um, just an inside joke there. Uh, um, somebody nicknamed him Snuffleupagus because I'm always talking about this John Allen guy that I shoot with at the range, but nobody's ever seen him. I've never seen him. Yeah, there you go. So he's not. <laughs> he's my own Snuffleupagus. So he bought a M&P9 VTAC. Well, man, it's got the Apex trigger in it. Uh, we went to the range one day. Sadly, we did not bring this month's pistol challenge for the Arm Scrolls Challenge, or Friend Scrolls Challenge. Uh, it's too bad, too, because I've not shot a polymer pistol this accurate ever. Amazing. Even John was, and I say even John because he has not been shooting as long, but he got new glasses recently, which helps him see the front sight. And at between five and seven yards, we could literally put 10 bullets in the size of a paster. One patch. Wow. Unbelievable. That is crazy. It's crazy. It's the most accurate handgun that I've shot. Well, certainly the most accurate polymer handgun that I've shot. Maybe the most accurate 9mm I've shot. And I don't know what makes it so accurate. I don't know if it's got a an improved barrel. I, I know the trigger is awfully nice. Um, but just silly how accurate that thing was. So, really impressed with that. Not enough to like go buy one or anything, but... Awesome. Yeah, it's the most accurate polymer framed handgun I've ever shot, but I'm, I'm not going to get one. I mean, it's I like it, but it's not that's not a good reason just because it's the most accurate thing out there. Yeah, because I mean, you need accuracy like that in a duty gun. Uh, Competition. I, I'm just saying that you're always looking for like the most accurate, awesome. Yeah, yeah, thing. it's got to be a tack driver. You're right. Yeah, 
So, okay. so what you're getting one next week then? I'll just wait for John to <laughs> maybe in a trade. His. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I shouldn't say that. John's bought my Sig P320. He's bought my Mark 18. So it looks like he buys from me. I don't buy so much from him. So what? See, what I'm interested in is what makes this so much more accurate than just a regular MMP9. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, we weren't using fantastic ammo. He's got some bulk ammo that he bought. I think from Mo that was made in Nova Scotia. Just uh, maybe it's the trigger. The sights are really nice. Other than the, I mean, other than the stipple job, an apex trigger being flat dark earth, it's got yeah. Being be, flat dark earth, that's probably it. Well, I'm just trying to look at all list the actual differences. Um, the, you know, it's got VTAC sights which have two sets of dots, like high dots and low dots, stacked on top of each other. And I think high so dots they, and low. What do you mean? I think they're like either to co-witness with an optic, should you put an optic on, or they go with... So it's got two sets of dots or two sets of sights? No, two sets of dots. It's got high sights, similar to like suppressor sights. Yeah. And then so the front sight post actually has one dot stacked on top of another one. Weird. Yeah. And um, the rear What length is the barrel on that one? Is it a four or a a five inch? No, it's not the pro version. It's it's, it's whatever Hmm. the regular MMP size is. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like I'm looking at it here on the on the website, Smith and Weston's website, and it just looks like a regular MMP9 with flat dark earth and different sights. Mm-hmm. Now, does that one have a, a apex trigger in it? Does it come with an apex, or is this an upgrade? Uh, I'm looking in the stats now. I don't see anything about an apex trigger. Uh, if you look at the picture of the firearm, if it has an aluminum squared off trigger trigger shoe, then that's no. The it looks like a regular trigger, MMP okay. trigger. So perhaps it's something that was added. So, so maybe it's that. Yeah, so maybe I really think I want to put the uh, Apex uh, duty trigger in mine because they do a duty trigger and they do a competition trigger. Right. So really impressive. So I thought I'd share that with the uh, with the listeners. Cool. Then I installed a thread protector on my Glock 19 that I got from our buddy RJ, friend of the show. Uh, bought his Glock 19, but it did not. It actually, as opposed to coming with a extended lone wolf barrel or a... Um, long, yeah, it, this one actually has a factory clock barrel that's threaded for suppressor and it came with suppressor sights. So it's kind of like a factory ready suppressor gun, but the thread protector, unfortunately was gone. Um, so I was able to find one actually made by H and K that, that fit purpley perfectly. So that's on there. Which fit purpley? It kind of purpley. Well, my fingers were purple after I was done tightening it on. <laughs> And then, speaking of sights, I got a set of Dave Savigny or Warren. Warren, uh, I don't know. I guess they're made by Dave Savigny or made by Warren. I can't remember which it is. Um, if you just do a Google on Dave Savigny sights, I think they're Warren Tactical. Anyway, they're um, they replaced the three dot sights that were on my FN FNS. The front sight post is um, kind of like a Dawson Precision, where you can put the fiber optic in. And a rear sight that is just all blacked out with a, a, a pretty generous rear notch as far as, uh, you know, lining up the front sight with the rear sight. Actually, a little bit more than I'm used to. But these were the ones that were described or as or they were promoted as uh, practical shooting sights. And it's very easy to find your front sight in that notch, that's for sure. Anyway, very cool. Fiber optic is replaceable. I've yet to get out and sight it in. I'm going to try tomorrow after school if possible. Um, so, it, it, it was, you know, I keep raving and ranting about my FNFNS. The only downside was the three-dot sights weren't really, I mean, they weren't night sights. 
and they weren't super precise, so they were kind of the only weak point I found in the firearm. Davis Savigny actually shoots for FN, at least he was anyway, and he was shooting the FN FNS9 in production, and these are the sights that he was running, and um, he's been making his own sights for a while now. So I put those on, but what a chore. They're not a, they're not a, a just draw in part they took some some fitting there was a little bit of filing had to happen and a lot of gentle tapping with a brass um, <laughs> brass punch tapping. yeah it was, it's hard man to not mar up the sight yep. even though it's a brass punch um i should have probably to be perfectly honest i should have filed off a little bit more and also i got lazy and i didn't put to when putting a slide in a in a in a vice on your workbench to work on it you know use some wood line the jaws of the vice. Oh with yeah, absolutely. I used a rag. Oh, that won't work. It'll go right yeah. through the rag. Yeah, in a couple of tiny spots it did. Yeah. I mean, anyway, I'm not really concerned. This isn't a showpiece. It's no, a, exactly. So it doesn't matter if it's got a few marks on it. You, and you, then, know, uh, you can just dremel those marks right out. Yeah, yeah, buff right out. <laughs> no problem. Fill it with JB Weld. Dremel them off. Yeah. Be fine. So adjusting them is going to be a pain. I've got the front sight centered, and that's where it's going to stay. And uh, and by centered, I mean eyeballed. Right. And I'll work on moving the uh, rear sight if necessary, because there's a lot more meat there to get a punch onto. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's uh, why I do like about the Glock sights. They actually you can get a tool for them and actually move them. You know. Yeah, we yeah I've got that sight pusher, and we've yeah. used it on all of our Glocks. <laughs> like yeah. Everybody we know that has a Glock around here is pretty much used it at one time or another. And it, you're right; it's ideal. You clamp it to the slide, and you just gently push the slide, the yeah. uh, sight. And as you, and with Glock sights, right, they drift in from the left, and then they drift out the same direction. You don't push them all the way through. They they go in from the left side, and then they, yeah, they're tapered. Yeah, and yeah. you push from the right out. So I didn't know if this was the case, and I thought, eh, should I call them and find out first, or should I just go to town? Nah, hit it with a hammer. Hit it harder. That's it. That's what I did, yeah. Just call you Bubba. Yeah. Nice. So then on Saturday, I traveled to Sussex, New Brunswick for an indoor 3D archery shoot, which is a, a heck of a lot of fun. The difference between or what a 3D shoot is, is you're shooting in a gymnasium. There are uh, 20 animals, 10 stations, two animals per station. So you shoot one arrow in each animal. So station number one. I've got a have, question. Yes. How do they keep all the animals just standing there? They're foam. Oh. So they should, <laughs> they should it have been a lot more interesting the other way. <laughs> well, there was a service dog running around. Um, so station number one, for example, you're standing there in station number one, and the first animal could be a cougar at 15 yards, and then the second animal could be, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, it was a caribou right uh, right against the back of the wall. And then so on and so forth. So every every station will have two animals at varying distances. So you have to judge the distance and then shoot the shot accordingly. Um, I haven't. I mean, I shot two two tournaments last year cold with my hunting bow, my hunting arrows, and stuff like that. Not really set up. So on Saturday, I decided to get a bit more serious. So I threw some longer stabilizers that help balance the bow better onto my hunting bow, but I still didn't have any any target arrows or 3D arrows, so I still just sighted in with my hunting sight and my hunting arrows. The only thing I did differently was I put on these uh, extra long stabilizers to help add stability and, and make the bow easier to shoot. Sighted in three distances, woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, 
stayed awake, left at 5 a.m. to drive the tournament and shot what probably is one of my personal best scores in a 3D tournament ever and finished second place behind our current champion. Huh. Yeah, it was awesome. And uh, not only, you know, he shot a 416 out of a possible 440. I shot a 420, or a 410, sorry. And so he got me by six points. I only had two bad arrows. Everything was an 11 or a 10. So there's your 10 ring and then a smaller 11 ring in the middle. So I shot really strong shots all day except for two. I shot a five on a bear and then I shot a five on a raccoon. So in the morning I was clean. I got to about halfway and there was a a 2D standing bear, I don't know, 23 yards. And I just flinched or just a bad execution whatever and the shot went low left and and i shot a five when i came back to that same target for the second round because you shoot you shoot the course twice i was like you owe me and i smoked him right in the 11 i was like yeah good strong and then i got to the hardest target in the course and the in the morning i shot an 11 on it and this time i kind of choked dropped my bar arm or something shot another five i was like i think what happened was i had a mental error where um I started to count my score before the round was over. I was like, all right, there are four animals left and I'm clean. This is excellent. And Adam had dropped. Adam was the uh, the guy we were shooting together, which is awesome. It's always good to shoot with a top shooter because it makes you step up and take it seriously. And uh, he had uh, dropped a couple of points. He had shot an eight and I hadn't shot any eights. And so if I had shot a 10, he would have beat me by one. If I had shot an 11, we would have tied and went to a shoot off. Anyway. It, uh, but instead, I shot a five and 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 hooped it. But so it's really cool. You, you know, I haven't been in archery since 2011, and I came back, and my scores are coming back very quickly. Uh, I went to practice uh, Wednesday night to shoot my target bow indoor at 18 meters, and out of a perfect score of 300, I shot 298. It was the first time I kept score this year, and 298 couldn't be like just freaking out like that's awesome. And then I realized I'm supposed to be a coach, not a shooter. This sucks. Apparently, I could still shoot, but now I'm coaching. So, anyway. Hmm. Yeah, it is what it is. It is but at least then, if I stand around and, and, and coach people, I can, I can back it up. If I tell them to do something and they're not sure if it works, I can stand on the line and do it, which I think is, is kind of important because there's some coaches that do How's that saying go? Those who can do, those who can't teach. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, we've never heard that one before. No, never uh-huh. been thrown at me at all. So, and then coming home from the tournament, I was almost on the CBC and almost able to debate Wendy Sukier. The CBC Radio One was doing a story on gun control, and they were interviewing a professor from St. Thomas. And the question was this: Does Canada have strong enough gun control? And no, it doesn't. I, I wanted to get on to dispel some of the myths that I had been hearing. One one soldier, former soldier, tried to tell the uh, host of the show that after one day of of taking a, a firearms class, he was able to go out and buy an assault rifle. He said, I can buy a clone of the C7 assault rifle I used to have. And then he back, and then so the host is like, Wendy, really? Is that true? Can he really do that? And so she didn't want to like, Anyway, they tiptoed around it a little bit, and then he's like, well, no, I mean a civilian, I mean a semi-automatic version, and then Wendy gave her textbook definition of the difference between semi-auto and full auto, and it was just, it was kind of painful to watch. So I was just going to simply ask the host, you want to know if we have strict enough gun control, or if we need stricter gun control? What do you understand about our current gun control? You guys are asking the question whether or not we should have stricter gun control, but you're not discussing what's currently in place. Wendy was going on about how you can buy 
um, uh, 50 caliber uh, sniper rifles. And I want to ask her, when's the last time a crime was committed with a $10,000 rifle, Wendy? There's no fear of somebody buying a, a 50 BMG. It's not exact. When's it, it's never been used in a crime. It's not practical. Like, Yeah, if it's not uh, effective, then why the heck is it a law? That's the thing. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so here's what happened. They, 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 uh, ring, it's ringing and ringing and ringing. They finally answer, and they're like, okay, what do you think? And I'm like, all right, you've got the president for the Canadian Coalition for Gun Control on. I'm the New Brunswick represent, representative for the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. We're on ups ends of the spectrum. I'd just like to get on and, and give my opinion about whether or not we need stricter gun control. That's awesome. Great. Okay. There's a couple of people in front of you. We'll get you on as soon as we can. Pull over, please, because, you know, we don't want your call to drop. So, of course, I pulled over anyway because you're not allowed to drive and be on a cell phone. So uh, I pulled over and I waited and I waited and I waited. I was pulled over on the side of the road for 23 minutes. The show ended and they never got to me. Ah. Uh. Yeah, that's, that's too, bad. too bad. That would have been really nice to have you on there. <sighs> no. Well, anyway, um, some people are like, oh, it wasn't that convenient. But there were a couple of callers that made it on that were definitely pro-guns. One guy even said, there's a gun two feet away from me right now. <laughs> it was <laughs> awesome. He was coming home from hunting, so it was pretty good. And then there was a gentleman by the name of Blake who Christina, my wife, said he should be on your show. He was that good. I'm like, oh, if he was good, he probably shouldn't be on our show. He <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't want to class up the joints at all. That'd no, exactly. Yeah. No, she said that he did a fantastic job and was using facts and logic and was calm. And so anyway, um, yeah, so that was that. And then I got into reloading shot shells this week. Um, one of the, the former uh, trap coordinator at our club who reloads on a mech junior came over to try and give me some help setting up my uh, mech size master and um, showed me a little bit about how things work and stuff and then i finally found a recipe for the components that i had on hand and started to reload and it's um, the, the everything's going okay but the crimp is not perfect and the way the crimp on this thing adjusts um, there's kind of two parts there's the actual folding of the crimp and then pushing the center of the crimp down. So the best analogy I could give is like, imagine a rifle, a, you know, a um, metallic resizing die or resizing die for, for metallic rifle cartridge that does both seating and crimping at the same time. So you can have the die body set too low and, and have too much crimp and not seat the bullet enough. And so it's kind of that kind of balance. I'm trying to get the crimp right by adjusting these two things. I'm not 100% comfortable yet with what does what exactly. And um, they're coming along, but they're not perfect. Um, I think if you run Winchester AA hulls for one batch ammo and then you switch to Federal Gold Medalist or, or Remington Trap or something, you need to readjust every time for the different hull. So it's a, it's a process, let me tell you. But I'm not dropping shot and powder all over my bench anymore. So, hey, we're going in the right direction. It's a, it's a lot more involved than I ever thought because you have to keep in mind the right. Some people say primers don't matter. Some people say primers do matter. The books lift, list different recipes for different primers. So I'm going to just follow the books for now until I'm comfortable and I actually know the ins and outs. But, you know, you use this hull with the... Um, Oh, Hornady, I've been bragging about the Hornady reloading website for a long time with because it, it just has a, a, a tremendous amount of recipes for pistol and rifle. Well, it'll do the same for shotgun. You select your gauge, you select your hull, you select your shots type and weight, and then it tells you 
what primer to use. Oh, sorry. You select the gauge, the shot type, the hull, and the powder. You tell it those things, and it gives you the primer, the powder charge, and the hull. So now you've, got to, now you've got to find out, okay, I know I had the powder, I know I had that hull, but do I have that type of primer and do I have that type of wad on hand? So to reload shot shell, you're carrying a whole pile of different things that you, that you don't have to carry with uh, with metallic cartridge reloading. You know, Varget, if you wanted to, you could use Varget for jumpins. You know, a whole bunch of different 223 and 308 and 30 out It's not perfect for all of them, but you can get it done, right? But it's definitely not the same with shot shell reloading. So, and right now I'm just basically reloading birdshot just to just to get used to it. But eventually, it's all about loading specialty shells like slugs and and buckshot. So, I like what I'd actually like to do is have somebody come by who has a mech size master to uh, adjust it for me and show me what I'm doing wrong. Yeah, well, I, I mean that that is the the whole idea. I think is you're not going to save any money doing this. You're going to do you're going to get cool cool loads out of it that's what you're going to be able to do bolo shot and uh oh bolo shots would be some awesome carbide uh drill bits for armor piercing and mm-hmm. rock salt for the garden rock salt yeah mm-hmm. maybe some paint and you can uh paint the house there you go shotgun i like you're it brilliant uh, yeah if we could just get paintballs to not bust <laughs> yeah, I'll get back to you on that that's cool so maybe maybe some uh, of the powder from your powder coating and like get just jam it in there yeah, my powder coating never came in. I gotta, I gotta try emerald coatings. I was told to go to emerald coatings. I tried powder three sixty five, but pff, I guess it's not three sixty five. Anyway, Adriel, what about you? What have you been up to? Uh, not much this week. Um, I was over at my buddy's place making some more nine millimeter last night. Um, made about five hundred rounds. Um, and his uh, his Remington eleven hundred. So he's been running this uh, wooden long barrel like 26 inch barrel shotgun and three gun and uh he's been doing fine but uh uh the last time we were out he had a catastrophic failure with it it just seized right up and uh inside the bolt there's this little plastic uh buffer thing that i'm not quite sure if it's if it's uh, acting on the recoil pulse or if it's buffering the hammer hitting the the firing pin but uh, there's this little round buffer dealy in there anyways. And his shotgun's from the 60s. And that little plastic thing busted and shrapnel got everywhere inside the shotgun and jammed it up. So um, we put a new one in there. And uh, we're ready for... I, we're going to do uh, some shotgun practice at 3-Gun this week on uh, Sunday. Uh, and then I helped my other buddy uh, find some rings for his uh, uh, Vortex. He's got a Vortex Razor HD. Uh, it's a 35 millimeter tube. Okay, so we had one inch scope tubes. Everything was good. Life was good. We got 30 and uh, we got some more elevation out of it. Great. And now this next generation of scopes, this next upsize, different manufacturers are going all over the place. Some are going 34. Most of them are going 34 millimeter. Some of them, like Vortex, are going to 35 millimeter. And then some of them are going to 36 and all sorts of other weird sizes. It's stupid. I don't really like that there's so many different sizes. And it shows with this one. So um, we're looking around for these 35 millimeter rings and we finally found some at uh, P&D. And uh, they only come in high. He wants to put it on a Ruger Precision Rifle, which is like a flat recoiling. You need to uh, jack the scope up pretty high to get to get it to where your eye is, um, it's, and uh, and to clear the uh, the front forend because it's a flat rail all the way through. And this 
might do it, might not. I'm not quite sure yet. So um, I guess we'll find out this weekend. We're gonna we're gonna try mounting it. So it's it's kind of painful to find rings for for weird size scope tubes like that. And I just I wish they. I wish industry that, standard. We need an industry standard. Why do people have to? I mean, what's one millimeter really? Is it going to make yeah. that big of a difference? Come on, on. yeah. You just or, have to be or, special if you're going to do that. Then the the manufacturer should be producing and including rings, and and uh, have available rings of every different height because uh, Vortex yeah. is does have rings. They have medium and they have high. They don't have ultra high. They don't have any of these other things. So. You know, you're you're stuck. There's a uh, you can get those Picatinny bases that have a Picatinny rail on top, so it, it's a mount to a mount, and that'll jack it up a bit. But uh, they look so dumb, and and it's an extra weak point on on the rifle that you don't need. So I'd rather go with rings that are just rings, and and you don't need to have something that that boosts it. But uh, anyways, that's that's kind of what I was up to this week. Um, next up for uh, for upcoming events, uh, we have the first annual Ronnie DeGroote Rockout with your Glockout Steel Challenge. That'll be June 4th, 2016. Uh, the next event we have here is the sixth annual charity shoot in support of Soldier On. That'll take place June 25th in Kingston, Ontario at the Brockville District Fish and Game Club. If you're interested, then contact New Shooter Canada or check out the event's Facebook page. And the last event that we have here is Handgun Fundamentals 1 in St. Paul, Alberta. Ooh, sounds be, like it's going to be terrible. Yeah, the, the instructors are awful. Um, <laughs> there won't be any prep. That'll be August 6, 2016. The cost is $200 per person. There's two spots available. One. One spot available. That's, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I should have updated. Uh, we're going to cover uh, grip, stance, sight picture, trigger control, as well as basic manual of arms. And when I say we, I mean uh, Trevor and Matthew, because... <laughs> I'm just going to help out and observe, and uh, I'm sure you'll be helpful too. Yeah. Can you get me a coke? No, no, it's a sandwich. You got to get ask him to get. Okay, there's a Mag Forty story about how Tommy asked the gun dudes to make him a sandwich. Oh man, it was a long time before he lived that one down. So I'm going to be on the line. I'd be like, Adriel, can you make me a sandwich? <laughs> I heard some... a rumor. Yeah. That these same two instructors may very well be putting on another one in October in Regina. But yeah, I heard that rumor too. It's a rumor. Regina. But if you don't want it to be a rumor anymore, let, let us, us know. know. Hmm. We might be able to make it a reality. Spoiler! <laughs> <laughs> cool. Who was that? What the? No idea. Yeah, no you guys idea. should just do the. You know, if you guys really wanted to do it, you could just set up a bunch of uh, a bunch of courses and drive the whole thing. Do one in Ontario. Just, yeah, just do one in Manitoba. Road trip. <laughs> you just you planned go. my 2017. <laughs> oh, there we go. Uh, next up, we have the news. Um, this first one. Um, well, Trevor, you know a little bit about this. The the BR99 that's coming out. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So the BR99 is aesthetically on the outside made to look like an AR15, uh, mostly A2 style. Uh, it's a semi-automatic magazine-fed 12-gauge shotgun, and it has recently received an FRT number that places it on the non-restricted list for Canada. So this thing is all kinds of badassery, made to look like an AR, mag-fed, semi-auto, looks like an AR, 12-gauge, amazing. I'm going to... It's relatively inexpensive. It's it's well under $800. Depending Uh, on the version. Yeah, yeah, after tax. Like, if you get the base model, it's six-something, let's say. 
I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon yet. I'm going to wait to see how many show up on the E. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? so. Well, I'll, uh, I, I can save you some time on that. I've, um, yep. Trigger Wholesale is going to send me one to review. So I'm going to oh, try amazing. one of the, uh, I think it's the, uh, yeah, the, the, the uh, Uzcon version. So th- there's like one factory in, in Turkey that, that, and this is complete hearsay. Because uh, I think I, I just read this on uh, Corwin Arms uh, announcement. They said there's one factory in Turkey that makes all the parts for these things, and then they're assembled and kitted out by a bunch of different shops. So those shops would be Turkey. like Torun, uh, Duria, Uzcon, Natmill, Boro Arms. Um, like there's a bunch of different brand names out there. They're all the same guts, but some of them have uh, a polymer lower. Some of them have an aluminum lower. Some mm. of them take an AR buttstock. Some of them have a fixed A2 buttstock. So some, if – now go ahead, finish. Sorry. Yeah, and then uh, same with the foreign. Some of them have like a polymer foreign. Some of them have an aluminum foreign. So there's a lot of – because there's, there's all these little shops that are uh, kitting these things out, there's a lot of different variation between them, even though they all have the same basic operating mechanism. So that's, that's why I think they're all approved so quickly is because they all have the same – uh, basic operating mechanism and they're they're from the same factory so that that frt applies to all of them because as soon as i saw one of them approved there was like three other announcements that came out that had different brand names associated with them and and very different price points one of them uh i think the Torin was five something all the way up to the duria one which was a thousand plus kind of a thing wow interesting now you say they're made in turkey yes no that's um I mean, we know Turkey's not going to be around much longer. Uh, Russia is going to, uh, you <laughs> so know, get probably... them while you can. <laughs> and I'm wondering if 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 Russia invades Turkey from the rear, is Greece going to help? Terrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have you looked at a map? I mean, it's a fair question. Oh, I thought that was just a a, a, a crack. No, it was. It was. I... Yeah. Carry on. Send your hate mail to Trevor at. Uh... Get your shotgun now. Send your groans to Trevor. Before Russia invades Turkey from the rear, get your shotgun now. Because there's not going to be nothing left. Yeah. I don't know. So so I think uh, um, for a three gun. Um, here in Canada, it's, it's mostly a game of of playing Who goofy with our with our mag capacities, right? Yeah. Because we're limited to five, but with a tube fed, you can go to three and a half inch, and that'll give you more two and three quarter. Um, so it kind of negates the um, advantage of a, of a of a mag fed semi auto because you can load so many more in a tube fed one. Um, but this one, this one should give really fast magazine changes because it's a, it's not a drop free, but it's a, it's a straight pull uh, magazine. It's not rock and lock or anything like that. Uh, so mag changes should be pretty quick, but they're only five at a time. Now I, I, I read on one of the other, um, manufacturer, the, one of the other retailer websites here that the magazines are going to be cheap. They're going to be like 35, 40 bucks kind of a thing. So it's not going to be that bad with, with some of the other mag fed shotguns, the magazines are extremely expensive. And uh, with this one, they won't. They won't be. Interesting. And Matthew and I were just looking at the SAP-6 tonight when we were trying to find this thing online. And, um, you know, when it comes to loading a shotgun quickly, whether it's a pump or a semi, you can't beat a magazine. No. Yeah. Mag's the way to go. Well, with the SAP-6, you've got, what, seven-round mags and 11-round mags? Yep. Yeah. Six and 11. Six and 11. Six and 11. Six plus one, 11 plus one. Yeah. Yeah, this thing's got five and ten, but you know, mm-hmm. for us Canadians, the the ten rounders are kind of useless because it's a it's a five ten, right? It's it's pin to yeah. five. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm. So 
Cool. Yeah. Charity, do you want to bring us the next story? Sure. Um, bringing back, uh, bring back gun registry, says the OPP Deputy Commissioner. A Deputy Commissioner of the OPP is applauding Quebec's plan for a provincial firearms registry, says Ontario, or the federal government should consider following suit. So what a surprise. The guy in charge of the OPP wants uh, wants Ontario to follow suit as well as uh, the uh, Ontario and the federal government. So, uh, mm. you know, because a federal gun registry that didn't work, um, you know, obviously a provincial level registry will work, though, because, well, because of reasons. Yeah. So just uh, the last part here is a a fairly substantial article. But the last part um, that I think is worth mentioning is during the federal election campaign, liberal leader Justin Trudeau vowed to enact measures that would make it harder for criminals to acquire handguns and assault weapons. Okay. There. It, it, anyway. Okay. These include 100 million annually to support guns and gangs task force enhanced background checks, and anyone seeking to purchase a handgun or other restricted firearm, and repealing legislation that allows restricted and prohibited firearm to be transported without a permit. Okay. We didn't lose the permit. Uh, the federal government will not create a new national long gun registry. Look, when I read Justin Trudeau's uh, proposed gun control. I think, honestly, he's just saying something f- about gun control for the sake of saying something to make the liberals happy. Because let's dissect this for a second. He's going to enact measures that would make it harder for criminals to acquire and use handguns and assault weapons. All right. Well, we know what he means by assault weapons. Not, and he doesn't mean what the term actually means. But criminals and and criminals are already not allowed to have a handgun or any firearm for that matter, because they're not allowed to have a firearms license because they won't pass the background check. So there's a moot point. 100 million, that's a lot of money, to support guns and gangs task force. I'm okay with this because gangs shouldn't have guns and we might need a task force to help fight gang violence. So I'm okay with that because they're not coming after me, they're going after the gangs. Enhanced background checks. Well, we already get a background check every day. The thing is, though, Trev, the the guns and gangs task force. The thing is, they do come after us sometimes. Sometimes guns and gangs are called in to investigate anything related to gangs or anything related to guns. Guns and gangs. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So I didn't look at it that way. You're right. That's not good. Yeah. Uh, um. Do Okay. So um, enhanced background checks for everyone seeking to purchase a handgun or restricted firearms. Well, if you have a license, you've already got a background check. Yep. So they could maybe what call on the spot and say, is this license valid? I'm okay with that. Sure. Take another 30 seconds if it makes you feel good. And repealing legislation that allows restricted and prohibited firearms to be transported without a permit. So he doesn't understand what C-42 is because they, they haven't taken away the ATT. We still are required to have an ATT. It's just rolled into the license. Yeah, they just moved it. Seriously. I mean, the law says you have to give it to me anyway, so why not just make it a conditional license? It makes total sense. If you're, I mean, it, I, uh, if, (laughs) if you have a gun license, they obviously trust you. So what's the big deal? Oh, it drives me nuts. The logic is just not there. Well, you could look at it from, from a positive or a negative point of view. You could look at it and say like, well, you know, they didn't really put a lot of thought into this, um, and, and they just said some things to say some things to get voted in. 
Um, so maybe they don't really care about this and they're not actually going to do anything of substance, which it looks like, you know, this is, this is what it is. Like a hundred million dollars for, for police is, that's a, that's a big number, a hundred million. And, then, and yet it's not, you know, like if, if we look at policing across the country, a hundred million is probably a drop in a bucket somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can look at it in that way. You can look at it as, as in they don't know and they don't really care to know what the law is right now and they're probably going to enact some really garbagey laws uh coming up so there's there's kind of two two viewpoints that i see on this they already have laws about yeah yeah yeah, it's already hard for criminals to to acquire and use handguns and assault weapons they're both restricted you can like legal gun owners can take them to the range and back and and to the gunsmith and uh a, a couple of other uh, edge case kind of a things. How, like, where, how is this easy for for them to acquire handguns and assault weapons? How are you going to legislate this away? Because the problem isn't in the legislation. Legislation is already covering it. Question is like, how are you going to actually execute on it? Um, the the NRA released a, a video uh, just recently here in the states saying. Uh, making this point, you know, we don't need more legislate. They don't. They were saying they don't need more legislation in the states. They need they need the the police and the government to, to enforce the enforce current laws. The current laws. Right. There's right. there's you know it's illegal to use handguns for crime. Hey, you know we don't need more laws for this. We need enforcement and execution on the existing laws that are already really good and uh, and just need enforcement. Yep. Um, another part of the uh, story here says Ontario's liberal, liberal government supports tougher gun con- gun laws, but says a long gun registry is only effective on a national scale. The province has no plans to create a registry, said Lauren Kelligan, press secretary to the Minister of Community Safety and Correctional Services. So we want a registry, but we, in true typical Ontario government fashion, they want it, but they want somebody else to do it and pay for it. So, yeah, yeah, we want that, to that or they, they might just want to. They might just be saying that to um, avoid saying we don't want to pay. <laughs> we don't want to pay for it. Or we don't want to do it because we tried it and it didn't work. Well, there's that too. Yeah. So yeah. if you guys try it and fail again, well, then we're not to blame. <laughs> yeah, politics. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Psych guy often said, if you wanted to go into business. You wouldn't contact everybody who tried that particular business and failed. You'd contact the two or three that are in that particular business and are successful, right? So gun registration doesn't doesn't do anything. It doesn't work. So why why try it when somebody else tried it and it failed? There's no logic in what Quebec is doing. And who's going to suffer? The gun owners and the taxpayers. People who in, in Quebec who don't care either way about guns, don't own guns, are now going to have to pay for a program that's not going to work. Yeah, exactly. Terrible idea. Let's can it. It's up yep. to us, right? We can nix yep. this? We, yeah. Well, it's one of the things we control is Perfect. Quebec gun laws. Yeah. So, Excellent. No. All right. Man, I can't believe Wendy was still on that program. So uh, was, she, was she just a caller in or was she like a uh, part of no, the she, panel? She was. Yeah, she was lined up to be a guest on the show. So they talked to the professor from St. Thomas for a while, and then they were like, and our next guest, Wendy Kukier. Man. There, she's she is kooky. If you read mm-hmm. the article, so I'm I'm just approaching this from a, a data point of view, analytics point of view, and if you read through that website, it's like just total garbage, cherry pick stats, just just absolutely the worst stuff possible in there to fit a viewpoint. Um, they and it's, publish 
they publish American stuff on on the Canadian Coalition for Firearms website. How is that fair? Like, I mean, you know, it's and now I know I sound hypocritical here, but it's one thing for us to look at the states and go. The states with the strictest gun control have the highest crime. The states where they're allowed to carry have low gun control. There's a correlation there, right? I mean, that it's, we're using it because it's logical. But they use American crime statistics as a method of fear-mongering to make Canadians think we need strict gun control because there's gun violence in the United States. Hello? What? Who doesn't see through that? Yeah, no, it's terrible stuff. Yeah, the conflating stats, correlation without causation. It's it's all just the the worst statistics possible. You could take a stats one on one student and have them go through that website and find something wrong with absolutely every article on there. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, that sounds like a great great. That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> any uh, any gun loving stats students that are listening, you want to you want a good time? Just go through that website and refute every article, uh, please and thank you. And, and then publish the, yeah, publish it, but give us credit because it was <laughs> it, it was it just a idea after all. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, this is actually a great time. Why don't we uh, jump into our main topic, uh, Matthew? This was your idea, wasn't it? No, or was I had you? another idea, but somebody stole it. <laughs> <laughs> this was actually my wife's idea. Oh well, there's the credit right there. Her, her, this was her second idea. Her first idea was to have us debunk gun control myths. And I'm like, ah, it's been done. We've done that. <laughs> yep, that's right. We should do it again sometime, though. Yeah, well, we'll have to get her on because it was her idea. Hmm. So yep. there you go. Yep. So yeah, no. Uh, so for our main topic uh, this week, we're talking about things to do in the off season um, when it's uh, cold and frigid outside. And uh, what 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 is the lowest temperature that you guys get out there? Oh. Because we have a building that we can put a fire in, I mean, I've probably been out in minus 20. Uh, at Matthew's range, I've probably been out in like minus 15, you know, but it doesn't last long for my, I can't feel my toes and my fingers and stuff, but. That's the thing. I mean, shooting shooting sports isn't really a high energy adrenaline kind of running around unless you're shooting Ipsic, and even then you only run around for 30 seconds at a time. You, you don't really have a chance to work up heat in your body, so. All you're doing is standing there handling chunks of steel that are minus 20 degrees and you freeze very quickly. So, yeah, I think I think it's a good idea to come up with some other things to do during the off-season because <laughs> it, it does get darn cold out here. Yeah, well, I, I was out um, last year in minus 32 and uh, it was brutal. I had I was firing my uh, AR. It's got aluminum forend, and it doesn't. <laughs> it sounds weird. I, I was wearing like heavy skidoo mitts. I could feel that aluminum forend just cutting into my gloves and oh, and just yeah. freezing my hand. No, and, that's, uh, I think my limit's about like minus ten or so before I'm just like, no, it's just I don't want to be outside standing around getting frostbit. Me too, yeah. Matthew. The longer I do this, the less appealing it is to go to the range in the yeah, winter. I mean. Like you said, you do have a cabin that's well, yeah. that you can shoot from, so that's great. I, f- I figured out the solution to shooting in the wintertime. You call Muffin. Yeah, and you, right. <laughs> and you tell him to yeah. go to the range and light a fire for you. Muffin, what time you want to meet at the range? He says 9 o'clock. Great, I'll bring the coffee. So I show up at 10 with warm coffee. And he's got a fire going. <laughs> you got it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but let's say we do, you know, we, we don't have access to an outdoor shooting facility. Um, and we are typically outdoor shooters, you know, whether you're a trap shooter, a long distance rifle shooter, silhouette, whatever you primarily shoot outdoor in the summertime. What can you do in the, um, in the, in the quote unquote off season to keep yourself involved in your hobby? 
Oh, so, um, it's too bad you finished that sentence. I was going to say, well, skidooing. That's one thing you could do. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but no. yeah, to keep you involved in your hobby. Okay, okay. Yeah, that makes that makes a bit more sense. I have, uh, personally, a long list of rifles and, and guns that need to be cleaned. So do you I. Know? Every single one that I own, it's on the me, list. Pretty much me too. I, yeah. I mean, it's some of them, it's going to be no more than putting some wet patches down the barrel to clean that carbon out because we know carbon is what causes pitting over time. So clean the carbon out of all those barrels. And in some cases, like my 6A6 needs a full cleaning. All of my ARs need a full cleaning. Maybe even my Versamax because I've, you know. Um, but for the most part, just 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 wiping down the barrels. Um, the wintertime is also a good time to do gun repairs. Maybe you had a gun that, it malfunctioned and it needs a new spring or something. Like if you, you own just, like a 1911 or something. Yeah, now is the time to replace all the springs because three months is up. So it's time to replace <laughs> all the springs and the extractor in your 1911 and the ejector and probably do some of that crack slide. And um, <laughs> yeah, so who's got this next well, one? Uh, uh, just oh, on, uh, the, oh, yeah, on the repair on the repair guns um and uh, maybe do any uh, gun mods that you want to do so if mm-hmm. you've got that MMP with the factory trigger and you're ready to throw it uh in the garbage uh to put the apex kit in and uh and get that better trigger or if you have uh an old mill serp that isn't worth very much uh maybe doing a trigger job on it to get it mm-hmm. to where it's not a miserable grindy long pull gun builds it's time yeah. to build that AR, you know. My uh, Garand was built over the winter. Um, it's a great time of year to refinish some stocks, build an AR. Yeah, you know, because in summertime you want to be out shooting, not stuck in the basement building. Yeah. But right, unless it's raining. Yeah, then you're probably going to be doing housework for your wife. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> unless I'm doing it wrong. You might be. I'm just saying. You know I'm kidding. I have a doctor's <laughs> note. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. What else what do you else do, Trevor? Um, well, I do uh, all of my reloading as much as possible in the wintertime, especially with proven recipes. If I need to chronograph some stuff, then I'll just roll up the test loads. Yeah, that's summertime, that's summertime work whenever you got to test it all. Yeah. So, but, uh, uh, yeah, if you have a proven recipe that you've been using for a couple of years and you know it works, then yeah, go nuts. Just, yeah. just load. Right now, I would love to load up a couple of thousand rounds of 40. But the recipe that I have, I know worked in Glocks and I know worked in my STI, but will it work in my 10 fold wheel? You don't know until you try it. Right. And I can't try it because the chronograph that I have doesn't seem to work well in cold temperature. So if I don't get, if I wrote up, you know, if uh, there's no point in rolling up a, a couple of dozen and then testing them and not getting accurate data, coming home rolling a thousand, and then only when they find out this summer at a match that oh it's too uh, too hot or too weak. So I'm not going to touch any forty until things get nice. I've got I could cast all winter, and I could powder coat all winter, and I could sort and clean brass all winter, and I can certainly reload nine because I'm not worried about my nine mil because I don't compete with a nine mil. I'll just throw in a a basic recipe with some tight group and and let her fly. But I have. I have more brass to process than I ever will. There's just no way I'll never get to it all. All the 223 brass, all the 308 brass that I have, there's no way. Oh, speaking of brass, squirrel, I brought in 100 pieces of Lopua 308 brass. When I opened this box of Lopua brass, angels came out. <laughs> it is amazing. And you're going to preload that stuff for your uh, Norinco M14? 
<laughs> I'm going to slap you um, when we meet. <laughs> so, uh, no, and I was supposed to be hand priming it tonight during the show, actually, and I uh, I forgot it all downstairs. Crud. No, it's going to be for my Attack uh, 21. You knew that, smart guy. So, now, that's something else. I'll load up some test loads and probably won't get out to try it. I, in the month of November, fired test loads that I rolled up with components that Toby sent me two years ago that I got around to loading last winter and tested in this November. So, hmm, yeah. yeah. Something tells me I shoot a lot of pistol in summer, so... So, yeah, what else? Yeah. Oh, I'd, I'd like to get a, a good head start on 9mm this year. Uh, I think I'm going to, uh, I, I think I've got 7,000 to 9,000 brass pieces. Uh, so I think I'm going to try to do like 5,000. And that should cover me for the summer. And uh, mm. yeah, like 9mm is easy. So I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll rip that stuff out and uh, get a really good lead on it so that when I am reloading in the summer, I'm reloading for the tougher stuff like 308 precision or 223 precision or any of these other rounds that are a little bit like I, I'm going to be more finicky and I'm going to try a lot of stuff to see what works. I picked up um, several thousand 9 mil for 30 bucks a thousand. I was like, why is it so cheap? He's like, the primer pockets are crimped. I'm like, oh. Oh, oh no. God. Garbage. So, <laughs> yeah, so I've got a um, one of the presses that I picked up when I got that shotgun press and all that other stuff. I just threw a universal decapping die in it and mounted it to the bench. So I'll decap it all. And then I took my primer pocket reamer, the Lee one that normally goes into it. No, actually, it's a Hornady product. It goes into a little handle, and you screw it into your primer pocket, and it reams out the crimp. I've mounted that into the chuck of my drill press. And I just turn it on and, and run them into that. And for a couple of seconds, and then it's cleaned out. I couldn't be bothered. The nine millimeter uh, brass is so cheap. I would never. What is it? Is it the uh, IVI stuff? Uh, not all of it, but most of it. Mm. Yeah, I can't yeah. be bothered. I've, if I run, run across one that's crimped, I throw it in the garbage and I just keep going. Normally, normally I do too, and it's actually Snuffleupagus's. So really, I should have him do it. <laughs> anyway, uh, I love so. how you have nicknames for everybody. Yeah, or yeah, whatever. Shut up, warning shot. <laughs> Matthew, what do you do in the winter when it's uh, when you're when it's off season? Um, I one of the things Which, I do for anything whenever I, I'm bored and uh, and I need a fix on something is YouTube. I, I go on, and I watch YouTube videos of you know favorite guns or cool Ipsit courses or just things like that. Maybe maybe look up reviews on guns that I might want to buy in the future. It's uh, sort of my fix, kind of something to do to to kind of kind of I don't know, at least sort of experience a bit of shooting without actually having to go out and freeze my feet off. Mm. At attend or teach RO classes. Oh yes, yes, there's that Just, too. You know, yeah, keep keep. It's a nice refresher on the rules so that you're you know ready for the spring. Yep. There's a couple of blogs I like to follow. Um, have you have you read the Precision Rifle blog? Can't read. Uh, I haven't. No. Can't read. <laughs> <laughs> Does it come in audiobook? <laughs> there's uh there's colors and pictures. No, I mean so it's Papa? it's a it's a really cool blog. They they um right now they're doing uh uh survey with uh shooters of this particular uh precision sniper shoot in the in the States and, and the top competitors on it and they're um interviewing them in, interviewing them and asking them which different rifle platforms they use barrel length cartridge scope everything so it, it's really cool because it can kind of give you insight into 
what top competitors are using in terms of equipment, and uh, uh, it's it's really scientific. So I, I really love that blog in particular. Do you guys have any other favorites? And I, Hunting yeah. gear guy, he's pretty cool. <laughs> I wasn't yep, fishing sure. for a compliment. <laughs> Too late. Your blog, Matthew's blog, and I think Owen has a blog. Are the only blog I've ever looked at more than twice. <laughs> Just uh, yeah. He, he can't read. Look, what are we? What are we can't, saying here? Can't do it. YouTube is his friend. YouTube is my friend. Look, YouTube's my friend too. I like YouTube. I, I really like YouTube for um, uh, uh, techniques and that kind of thing. So, like, uh-huh. to to go and do a course with uh, with experienced uh, uh, teachers and that kind of thing is is costly, and sometimes it's in weird places where they they land UFOs. Hey, YouTube's uh, where I learned <laughs> all my karate. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, well, for, for me, like I've I've uh, learned a lot. Uh, there's there's some things that are very easy in shooting, and there's some things that are very difficult. One of the things that I found really difficult is loading a shotgun fast. Uh, it's not uh, natively intuitive. You need and and by watching videos, uh, I got from uh, absolutely terrible to only somewhat terrible, and uh, it got my speed way up. And it got my fumbling way down. So that, and that was just through watching different people's videos. Some people have some really high quality videos. And I really like those because you can see exactly what they're doing with their hands. And uh, some of the, the lower, lower quality ones out there are still good because they're still showing a new technique or a, or a different way to do something. And uh, and you can kind of time out how fast they can reload their shotgun, and you can try to do it yourself. And uh, and and that's one thing that I, that you can do even in the winter is. Uh, load up some dummy shot shell rounds and practice reloading your shotgun because it's one of those skills that uh, not a lot of shooters know how to how to reload a shotgun really fast. No, and it's 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 eye hand um, coordination and it's muscle memory. Mm-hmm. And there's only one way to develop it. You have gotta practice and practice and practice. It's nice if you have an experienced shooter look over your shoulder and correct you and say, okay, we'll change the angle of the shotgun or roll it a little bit more. But mm-hmm. YouTube's better than nothing. Yeah, and it, it's a it's a good place to start uh, while you don't know anything to get you to so that you know at least a little bit. And when you sit down with that experienced shooter, they're not just starting from scratch; they're at least you know starting with something. Yeah, um, what I did my first winter before I, my black badge was videotape myself drawing and reloading, and I would upload those videos and let Mo watch them. Mo that used to be on action shooting uh, radio with me, and um, it was a tremendous help. When I got to my black badge, I had my remedial movements down. You could do the same with those with uh, reloading your shotgun. If you have access to a pro three gunner, um, you know, videotape yourself doing your, your load two or load four and have them analyze it. Yeah, I saw I, I watched some really good videos on uh, remedial action for jams on an AR and a pistol and, and then I tried uh like blueberry I've, jam. Like blueberry or strawberry jam. jam. Yes. Strawberry jam has too many seeds, Matthew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> raspberry M- jam. MMP will eat up one. the raspberry jam, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. one of, one of the things you can do is um, uh, have your buddy induce uh, one of these jams in in your pistol, and then you take the pistol, put pull it up like you're going to fire, and then analyze it and try to rectify it as soon as possible. So you With practice me your- yelling in your face from a foot away. <laughs> I, 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 do, yeah. I do do that. Yeah, <laughs> practice. Fix it now, maggot! Yeah, somebody turns around, looks at me when the gun stops working, I lose my mind. Fix it! Don't, <laughs> Don't look, look at me. me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Practice your stovepipes, practice your double feeds, all the, all the tricky stuff and, uh, and get really good at it because that's one of the things I noticed, um, at three gun competition and, and some of the other competitions I, I was at this year was, uh, some people are really good at remedial action. You can tell the, the military guys when their AR jams, they're fast. They, they do the, they do the tap rack. Well, they, they practice because they can't afford ammo. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you can tell, you can see the, the, immediate response that they have to a jam and how fast they get back in the action whereas some other people uh the most basic thing happens they they forgot to drop the bolt forward and they pull a trigger and nothing happens and they're uh they're done for like five seven seconds kind of thing so and it's just painful. excruciating oh yeah i want my gun go bang yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, at it, it's not gonna fix it kids nope. yeah and that's just for like missing stuff and never mind uh uh, a jam or a stovepipe or something like that and dealing with that. So yeah, anyways, that's, that's one thing that I really like to do as well is, is watch those YouTube videos and uh, practice remedial actions on, on AR jams and pistol jams. Mm-hmm. So I guess the the next one we have is dry fire. So that falls into that for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned like, yeah, drawing your pistol and, and, and clicking the trigger on it. And uh, do you use a, a timer for that? I do. I use a shot timer. That's a software program program called are you ready uh when i can set part times to it so if i want to see if i can draw the pistol and and press off a shot on a target at three or five yards whatever i can get from across my room so i'll set the part timer at a second and there well maybe 1.2 and then i'll move it down to nine and then i'll move it to eight and i'll just see where my breaking point is and keep pushing it keep pushing it is that an iphone app no no it's a desktop app it's called um are you ready Oh, it's uh, that's straight up on your computer. Yep, I see. That, okay. That's the one that has the the target on it and everything, right? Negative. This is a different one. Okay, because there's yeah. one where there was an actual target and a t- part timer, and you would just stand in front of your computer monitor and just it displayed the target for you. Hmm. No. So the I'm only like... issue there is if you did have an ND, you would lose your computer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, electron- Obviously, whenever you're doing dry fire, folks, you got to make sure you clear the weapon. Otherwise, it's not dry. <laughs> it's not dry. Yeah, you got to be very careful when you do dry fire. But we we trust you guys are all safe enough to do it safely. I don't. Yeah. Uh, I don't trust anybody. <laughs> and, uh, nothing's no, no, no. I trust them it. to do it in their own house with me not yeah. there. Um, don't have ammunition in the same room as the gun when you're doing dry fire That's practice. That's basically it. Yeah. And if you leave the room, come back and clear the gun. Yeah. Anytime you leave a gun unattended, when you come back, assume it's loaded and clear it again. The software, um, electronic IPSC training software, are you ready? You can just do a Google hmm. search for it and it'll come up. Does it uh, Does it use a microphone to figure out when you've pulled the trigger or is it just a timer? You just have to know that you pulled the trigger before the beep. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't time how fast you do it, you're timing yourself. Yeah. So there's, a, there's a, an Android app called IPSC Shot Timer. And that one will uh, give you a beep, and then you can set the sensitivity. To, so you can use it at the range, set, set yeah. the sensitivity way up so it's it's measuring shots. Or you can use it at home, set the sensitivity way down so it measures like a little crack or a little uh, like a, a trigger pull. And uh, I've got mine set so that I can uh, I can it can hear that trigger pull. You got to be careful because any any other loud noise, and they'll think that's yeah. a trigger pull, and it'll give and you the time an to that. Android app. And it's free too. Android? Yeah. Awesome. 
Yeah, so that's uh, yeah. Ipsic Shot Timer, and mine says beta on it, but it was free, so I don't really care. Yeah, it's awesome. You hit start on it. Um, uh, I've used it for shot shell reloading, because you, if you set it the sensitivity way, way down, it'll actually hear the clicks of the shells going into the gun. So you can uh, hit the par timer, wait for the beep, beep, and then reload your shot shells, stop and be quiet at the last one, and it'll have the time of that it last heard a click. And that's the time it took you to reload your shotgun. So you can see what's faster, whether you want to try load two or you want to try load four, or you're just going to uh, thumb them in one at a time. You can kind of compare your, your different loading uh, tactics to see which one's faster for you. Neat. I will definitely look that up. I don't know if it's got an, uh, an iPhone version, but yeah. Anyways, that's one well, I use. Who uses iPhone, really? <laughs> so um, what do we got next? Uh, is that my cue or is that somebody else? It, it, it says shoot other stuff. Line, so, line. So, yeah, uh, where am I supposed to be? Uh, yeah, so basically if uh, if you have an indoor range available to you, why don't you shoot some indoor? I mean, go inside and uh, you know practice some pistols or maybe some rim fire. Not, not a lot of indoor allow center fire rifle, but at least you can get your rim fires out and, and do some shooting that way. So if you have an indoor round, indoor range, you know, that would be something you could do. I wish I did. I don't. The mm. only indoor I got is the basement. Uh, the basement, yeah. And apparently uh, that's not allowed, I guess. Apparently. Huh. <laughs> well, you, could, you could go uh, laser, what is that, cert training, or you could use airsoft, or is it is it legal? To, yeah, you can use a pellet gun in a basement or something like that, right? It's not a firearm. That's right. There you go. And yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I bought a, a BB gun, actually, not a pellet gun, um, handgun. It's uh, It's very similar to a Glock. And I've used it for like dry fire, n- not really dry fire, because I put a target in the basement and shoot it with with that, and it's it eh, it doesn't really help a whole lot. It's not exactly the same grip as the Glock. It's not even close to the same trigger pull. All it really does is lets you shoot something in the basement. <laughs> well, it's still it's still handling. It's still yeah. sight picture. It's still stance. It's still muscle memory with regards to you know those things. Yeah, I suppose there's that. And I guess practicing on a crappy trigger, and, and I have noticed this, after I practice with that for a while and then do some dry fire with my Glock or actually go to the range and shoot it, the, the trigger feels amazing. <laughs> <laughs> after, you know, pulling a 12 and a half pound double action BB gun pistol trigger for a couple of hours, you know, nice five and a half pound is like, wow, it's amazing. <laughs> Get to learn to appreciate the finer things in life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a fine Glock trigger. Yeah, actually, no kidding. The the trigger on my 19 is one of the best Glock triggers ever. Talking zero creep, and it's a Glock trigger. Crazy stuff. There you go. Uh, one of the other things I do in the off season is uh, order garbage off of uh, China just to see if it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got I got a 45 degree offset that uh, I've, I've I ordered a couple of different kinds on the assumption that one or more of them is going to be total garbage. And uh, well, I'll try that on my AR, and if they're total garbage, and I assume that one or both of them will be, uh, it's not a big deal. You know what? I got a set of those. Um knockoff Chinese sites off eBay for like 45 bucks shipped. And the only complaint I have is the windage knob on the rear sight is not as, um, as tight as I would like. And I'm sure there's a fix for it. Like the detent isn't very, isn't very good. But other than that, I can't, I, I, I'm totally happy with them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, and it's cheap. And 
I don't know. That's yeah, because China comes pretty uh, quick too. A quote unquote actual set of forty five degree backups is like two to three hundred bucks. Yeah, that's a lot to find out if if you like it or not. And you know what? I didn't like them because I had them on my rifle with my scope. It's just a, a one and a half to four power scope. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rationale was for the close targets, I would rotate the rifle to the to the side and use the irons. Pasha, I use the scope for everything, whether it's a uh, three yards in front of me or fifty meters out. Yeah, why would you want to like retrain muscle memory to shoot at why, a forty-five degree angle when you? Why? Why burn time doing it? Right, just, just, just put shoot your crosshairs and let her fly. Yeah. Well, uh, I've got a one, like I've got a one to four, so I uh, yeah. I'll probably find the same thing as you did, Trevor. Yeah, I mean, if you're shooting, uh, you know, a 15 or 30 power scope, then obviously you're going to need something different. But any guys who are shooting action shooting, they're going to be shooting maximum, I would say, four power. And you can shoot four power right up to point blank if you want. Yeah, the crosshairs will be fuzzy, but you'll see your target. You'll hit what you need. Yeah, yeah exactly. I've been, I've been fine. Yeah. So, any uh, uh, any other last things that you guys do in the, the off season? Podcast. <laughs> yeah, I've been on the podcast here or there every every once a week or so, give yeah. or take. Yeah, I do archery. I said shoot other boring. stuff. Boring. You're boring us. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know, you're not. There are a lot of people who like archery, and I'm just not one of them. So I'm sorry about that. You carry on. No, I just uh, it, switching it up stops you from burning out. That's right? true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Keeps you keeps you active, but you do something different. So you know, if you're shooting outdoor silhouette all summer, and then you go to indoor silhouette on the paper target. Oh, you may get tired of silhouette after a while. But if you shoot pistol outside all summer and then go shoot indoor silhouette in the winter, eh, you know, or uh, you shoot rifle all summer or trap all summer and shoot pistol all winter, if you can, then it, you know, it keeps keeps you going. Yep. yep. But what you don't do is like jump on a sailboat all summer and then try and shoot a couple of matches here and there in the winter and expect to be good at, at Ipsic. <laughs> huh. Sounds hmm. like there's a story behind that. Perhaps. <laughs> so, exactly. 1911 suck. All right, next. <laughs> uh, Any other ones? I, I don't think so. Matthew? Uh, no, not really. Nothing gun-related anyway. Topic completed. There is nothing else to do in the off-season. We've covered it all, folks. There, there probably well, is. Our listeners probably have lots of good ideas, so why don't they email us and tell us? Yeah, they're, ye- they're yelling at their uh, radio right now. Yeah. Why don't you? Radio. We're on the radio. Nobody told me. Huh. Um, yeah. sta- stage design and match prep. Like, I mean, I do all my SummerSlam logistics in the in the winter. Of course, I had it all done at the end of September. But generally speaking, you know, people require long time to, to plan big level threes and stuff. Not me, but um, other people, I'm sure. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess they can get on that. <laughs> no, I mean, stage design, it's great. It's something that you do in the winter. Design a whole pile of stages. Just, especially if you're always working on the same range and you know the, the 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 props you have and the dimensions of your base, you know you're at work, you're killing time. I whip up a long course of fire, you know. But uh, no, I, I'm making I'm I'm being uh, kind of facetious. But my stages are not done for SummerSlam. Last year they were done by the end of November. A little freaked out. So Christmas break, I'll be finishing up those stages and submitting them off. But everything else is done. Very so, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, head on to a listener feedback. Uh, this first one here is from Justin. Over the, la- over the last year or so, I've noticed there are a lot of rifles for sale that supposedly only have 10 to 80 rounds through them. I was wondering if you had any idea why. It's because Trevor didn't get his hands on it yet. Clearly. 
<laughs> 10 to 80 rounds in the first day. <laughs> Are they lying and rounding down? Are there so many shooters that buy a brand new gun and run a handful of mags through it and are like, yep, I'm done with this. It seems like they may be oil patches now out of work and need money, but why didn't they run it when they could afford it? I'm baffled. P.S. I hope this isn't picking on Trevor or anyone else that may do this. P.P.S. <laughs> I am also I am also a fan of the nickname Frosty, just as much as I think of him as a great addition to the show. Oh, well, nice. would you look at that? Yeah, Would somebody you? likes the name Frosty. Everybody seems to like it except for Frosty. Hmm. Well, well, too it. bad for Frosty, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in time, we're going to forget why we started calling him Frosty. We probably will. There we yeah. go. So, I've forgotten already. I know. Really? No. Okay. I know one guy who does this. Uh, we don't live in an area where you have a lot of indoor ranges where you can rent guns. Um, and this guy, I don't know, maybe nobody likes him enough to let him borrow their guns, but he does this a lot. He will buy a gun so he can decide if he likes it or not and then sell it. He almost never loses money. And even if he loses money, he chalks it up to a rental. You know what? I lost 50 bucks, but now I know I got to play. I paid $50 to play with that gun and moved it on. And now I know that I don't like it or I like it. I keep it, whatever. Yeah, I did that for years before I finally settled on the rifles and guns that I do have. And that's what I. That's how I looked at it. It was like a rental fee if if yeah. I lost any money on it. I know you're probably not talking about me, but I did. I did do that as no, well. No, not at all. People yeah. like you. Um, well, most people like you. Some people like I like you. Oh, I didn't uh, listen to you the whole time, so I didn't realize you didn't like this person. Oh, I said uh, maybe it's because people don't like him. Nobody lends them his guns. But oh. uh, I'm not saying anybody doesn't like him. I'm saying it's just a theory that right. You know. So Boy, ten that, to that squirreled off. <laughs> ten to <laughs> ten to <laughs> the important thing is I made fun of you. <laughs> 10 to 80 rounds. Uh, if it's a bolt-action rifle, I think that could actually be a, a pretty realistic number. You buy a rifle for hunting, and then you don't hunt that often, or you hunt and you shoot one round and down an animal, and the only other time you shoot it is to sight it in before hunting. 10 to 80 rounds is not That's unrealistic. Yeah. yeah, if it's a hunting rifle and you're only using it for hunting. If it's an AR-15, they tell you there's 10 to 80 rounds through it. Um, they're either dead or lying. <laughs> it's impossible to have an AR-15 and only shoot it 80 times. So, yeah, but like we like you said, like there's there's a lot of hunters that will shoot uh four or five rounds to uh sight in a rifle and then shoot one round a year. I mean, 10 to 80 rounds could I I've got a buddy who one, one of his rifles he bought it new 8 years ago and I'm sure he's at less than 40 rounds through that rifle. No, he has his other rifles that he uses and abuses, his ARs and, and semi-auto shotguns and that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, definitely a hunting rifle can be the 10 to 80 rounds. And I think the other thing he was mentioning there in terms of oil patch, I have been getting some screaming deals uh, locally here in Alberta because the oil patch sucks. There's a lot of oh. people who overspent on their guns and uh, and are now need the money and are selling a lot. So look there's a brother up. If you come up with some sales that you want to pass on, let me know. There you go. Yeah, Alberta is a good place to be buying right now. Nice. Cool. Yep. Uh, Trevor, do you want to take the next one here? No. Oh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. From Richard. Hi guys. I've been a long-time listener and going all the way back to CCR. CCR? Uh, CRR, I believe. I thought so. Because I don't think we were C- If we were CCR, I should be richer and older. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's and probably the... a bit more stoned. Yes. <laughs> just only a bit, though. Just, just, just... <laughs> I was going to get uh, high. Wait, what? <laughs> and then I went podcasting. 
All right. So a uh, long-time listener going all the way back to CRR and always wanted to leave some feedback, but it just never happened. Today, though, I decided that you guys are doing such an awesome job that I just had to make time and drop a short email. Specifically, I wanted to highlight episode 129 of Slam Fire as being one of the best ever. I know politics are not the show's main focus, but perhaps there could be a monthly or yearly segment that reviews where we, as gun enthusiasts, stand in the Canadian political scene. Well, currently, Bud, we're screwed. <laughs> the, the interview with Rob, I, I think he meant Rod, Rod, Rod yeah. was, uh, was great. And I enjoyed the level, articulate discussion you guys had. I regularly listen to a dozen other firearms podcasts from both here and stateside, and yours is still one of my favorites. Keep up, keep being, keep up being awesome. Yes, we, we will. will. We will keep Definitely up being awesome. Will. Thank no you, Richard. Covered. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Especially yeah. That was the uh, that was the episode where we interviewed Rod about the uh, CCFR, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was shortly after we went live. We cool. as in the CCFR, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, we should try and have Rod on more often to talk about the, the uh, current political climate or even Tony. We've had tried to have Tony Bernardo on. He has been interviewed on podcasts before. Um, Slamfire even, maybe, if not Slamfire, for sure, Canadian Reload Radio. Uh, but he's a very busy man. So... And it's always it's always awesome to talk to Tony Bernardo because he knows everybody. He's been around forever. He knows a lot of inside baseball, and uh, we get some of it, but some of it not for not for air, you know air, of course. But uh, mm-hmm. it's not that we don't you know want to cover politics. It's just simply that none of us are very political, so we we're just not drawn to it. Right when when Andy was doing Canadian Reload Radio, it was a, a serious interest of his was the law side and the political side. So that's naturally why we heard about it more. We decided to talk about stuff that is um, better. Better. <laughs> <laughs> so More in no, line with your interests. Yeah, well, I mean, more in line with our interests. But the the uh, we do have listeners that are certainly, it is a concern of theirs. It's an interest of theirs. And uh, I'm sure they would like to hear us get it wrong. So, And we would. Clearly. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, if you'd like to have your uh, email read online, uh, just head on over to uh, slant, uh, your whatever email uh, you're using. Yeah, why don't you try that uh, one again? <laughs> oh, if you'd like okay, to send man. the show email, email slamfireradio at gmail.com. Better? Perfect. Just, yeah, <laughs> just like it was written. Yeah. Good. Just got to read the prompter. Read the teleprompter. God. Um, in terms of iTunes reviews, uh, Matthew, I think you've got one there. We that, got five uh, stars from Aaron Fisher. What? Yeah, oh, remember, remember he sent us four stars last week. Yeah, we were like, we yelled at him a little bit, and he was like, "Say something about my SKS." So I was like, "Here's a one star review. It sucks." Yeah, <laughs> uh, he, so. uh, he he put an edit in, and it says, "Edit. Thanks for the laughs, guys, of hearing Trevor knocking on my SKS. You guys get five stars from me. So Listen, awesome." Mr. Fisher, I wasn't knocking on your SKS. Don't flatter yourself. I was knocking on SKS's every. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, remember last week when you didn't click more? Yeah, and well, there was a lot more. There was like a half of half of a review more to go. 
Let's hear it. So this is from Andrew in Windsor. He gave us five star or five five thumbs up. No, wait, both thumbs up and five stars. So I'm just going to read the whole thing again just so that uh, we don't lose any context. He says, hey, guys, I've been listening since the early CRR days and figured that I should get on iTunes and leave a review. It would be better if this was dedicated to beating a public library, but I digress. As a deer hunter and avid long-range shooter, I am enjoying the addition of Adriel, but I still love the great mix of archery, rimfire, and Ipsic talk. I recently moved from Ottawa to Windsor, and now that I can easily drive to the U.S., I am looking into being able to carry my SIG when I cross. If only there was someone who had open-carried in Utah that I could speak to. Hmm. Hmm. I give two thumbs up, boys. Thanks for the great entertainment and sometimes pertinent information. Also... I am not bothering to spell check pertinent. (laughs) (laughs) So brave. (laughs) And that comes to us from Andrew in Windsor. He writes, P.S. I'm the guy that bought CRR Andy's SIG P226 Elite way back in the day. It still runs like a champ. And despite his issues, I find this gun incredibly accurate without messing with the sights. P.P.S. That's, Andy's issues, or no, no, no. The gun, the, no. And Andy was having a problem with the the gun shooting low. Oh, I thought he was referring to Andy's issues. No, 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 no. The gun. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. no. Just clarifying. No. Um, so he find he found it very accurate. So it could have just been that Andy wasn't used to shooting a sig. Just simple. I mean, sigs are kind of weird guns. That's all. Um, PPS. That is how you leave a PS. yes yes it is andrew you get two thumbs up so that's two more (laughs) thumbs up for us because we didn't get to read that part of it last week so that's two more we can toss in to the mix so all right thank you andrew and uh good luck carrying your sig over cross that'd be cool awesome uh any shout outs tonight i have two one to andy shan for helping me with the weight of my load shot and to christina for the show topic yeah thank you christina yeah yeah. So yeah, he uh, he walked me through because I was freaking out. Right, I'm like, okay, my digital scale has grains and grams, no ounces. So I was like, I got to figure out how many grains in one and one eighth of an ounce. And then I was like, okay, uh, it's all over the map. It's like, so it's supposed to be four hundred ninety two and one hundred eighty eight thousandths. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm getting one eighty. I'm getting five ten. I'm getting 192. I'm getting five. And he's like, yeah, like you're not talk. Think about it. You're you're dumping little BBs, little pellets into a into a uh, a pan and weighing them on a on a scale. You're never gonna get. It's not like gunpowder where it's these tiny little kernels and you can trickle them in. So he's like, there's going to be a range. Relax. Stop OCDing over this. So I'm gonna cut some of those BBs in half. It, it has to be perfect. Don't give me ideas. Stop that. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta double my dosage now on my meds. Way to go! When you're when you're throwing charges for your rifles, do you do you have like a dipper that you use for p- like putting flake by flake? What is this? A dipper? What is this? 1968? Yes, it is. I use a a powder throw that mm-hmm. throws a. Let's say I need 43.2. So I set my powder measure to throw 43 grains, and then I use a trickler to get the last little bit. So that every case gets exactly forty-three point two. The point two comes from the trickler. There we go. Tips from the best. The point two <laughs> comes from the trickler. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta you gotta trickle in the last drop. Just trickle it in there. <laughs> okay, well let's let's get this uh, show on the road. Um 
please join any and all of our uh, National Firearms Associations. It's important that we uh, support all of them out there. Um, check us out on GOC, that's Gun Owners of Canada. We've got a, a, a forum there that you can see our uh, shows on and subscribe. Speaking of forums, this was news. This was the squirrel. Sorry, Adriel. Give her. This was, this was the news, one of the news items. NFA got kicked off of CGN or, well, kicked off. I don't know the circumstances around them leaving, but NFA no longer has a home on CGN. Weird. Yeah. I wonder why. I have drama and NFA together? Say it ain't so. <laughs> Carry on. Sorry. <laughs> well, that other forum that <laughs> the NFA is still on GOC, though, right? Who cares? Who cares? Uh, after that, okay, go on to GOC. Check out uh, check out our forum on there, and uh, like us on Facebook. We're at one thousand three hundred seventeen likes, well, and. Good. We're at uh, 68 thumbs up and counting. Uh, somebody please send us one. Just one. Just give me one. <laughs> I just want one thumb up. So, <laughs> yeah, just one more thumb. Uh, it doesn't have to be like an enthusiastic thumb. Just one. Watch. No, next time a, we'll get three. A, a, a sympathy thumb. <laughs> a, pity, a pity thumb. Uh, all right, Trevor, Matthew, say goodnight. Yes. Good night. Good night. Kelly. Good night, Kelly. Good night. <laughs> so if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over, it's time to get a gun. Hi, and welcome to... <laughs> that correctly <laughs> you get it so right so often <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs>